Hey, everyone. I just wanted to come on here before my episode with Rebecca Sperry and, well, say hi, and thank you for listening, as well as thank you for giving me this wonderful opportunity and perfect excuse to talk to all of these amazing people. I also wanted to let you know that Hiking Through is going to go on hiatus this summer, so this will be the last episode for the spring, and we'll meet up come September-ish and have some great stories to tell, I hope, of all of the amazing adventures that we got into this summer. So until then, have fun. And now let's get on to the episode. Because I'm doing miles and not willing to give myself a break. But going through treatment, there's a lot of things that you don't have a choice. You have to keep doing it. And it's more than hiking. It's like you really don't have a choice. Hiking, you could say, I don't feel like going today and stay home. But like, I had to go to chemo Thursday. (laughs) Things like that um, are a little different, but at the same time, it really does kind of mentally prepare you, I think, because you're strong enough to say, I just got to put my head down and get through this and not even really think about what I'm doing because I can't do that right now. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast, where we pull up a seat at the campfire and talk life. I'm Erin Egan, and today's guest is socked in, known off-trail as Rebecca Sperry. She was focused last year on her goal of redlining or tracing all the trails of the whites within 12 months. And then, in August, she received a breast cancer diagnosis, and life as she knew it completely changed. In this episode, we talk about those months of diagnosis and early treatment, how hiking prepared her for cancer treatment, and how cancer has taught her to stay present with everything in her life. Coming home to the trails again, and doing what makes you happy. You can find this episode at hiking-through.com, as well as on our Hiking Through channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Socked In. This was one of those episodes. I know initially kind of when we, when we DM'd, um, we were like, okay, I'm going to, you've got this big, big goal that you were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were like, okay, we'll connect when you get there. But it, it feels like you've got even bigger goals now. And I wanted to celebrate that with you, I guess. Thanks. I appreciate that. It's, um, Things have changed a lot and I am trying to allow myself the, I'm giving myself permission to um, do what makes me happy, I guess. And what I feel like right now is what I need to be doing versus what I feel obligated to do because of what I was doing before I got diagnosed, I guess, or like what social media would like to see me do. Um, Cause it's not about that. It's about me. And I, I think that, um, yeah, it's, now my goals have changed in a, in they're going in a little bit of a different direction because I'm focusing on um, hiking the things that I want to hike because I want to hike them. And 
so this summer is I, I actually, I had everything planned because I'm a huge planner. I have like this, you have no idea the amount of like ridiculous stuff that is like my planning obsessions. Um, but I had everything planned for the summer. I had all the hikes that I wanted to do outlined um, for working on hiking the trails in the whites. So it's called redlining, but I'd like to call it tracing. So I feel like it's a little bit more appropriate to call it that at this point. Um, so tracing the trails in the whites. What does that actually mean? So redlining or tracing is hiking all of the trails. So it's, so if you look at a, um, the guidebook, for example, it's a couple, it's probably three or 400 pages long. So hiking all the trails in the guidebook, there's 652 trails, roughly. It's a little bit more than that. Um, and about 1450 miles of trails. And the part that's not linear is that it's, it's like, you have to drive all over the state. Um, the trails are uh, not often used. So they're not always very well marked um, or don't have any markings sometimes. And it's almost like going on, not a scavenger hunt, but sort of like an adventure in and of itself, just finding the trail sometimes. Um, so I was working on originally hiking all of the trails in the whites. And my original goal before I got diagnosed with cancer was to hike them all in a year um, because I just wanted to make a goal for myself that I had a set time limit because um, I just like to do that, I guess. <laughs> I like to have like uh, tangible beginnings and ends to things. Um, so that was the goal. So I was working on doing that and then COVID hit. So I was about 18% done had to stop last March. Um, and I was like, I can't stop and restart because it would be, a, I'd be wasting months of time. So I restarted on um, June 19th of last year at 0% and hiked all summer for about two months. And I was around, I think, Actually, no, the first time I did it, I was at seven and a half percent. The second time over the summer in the two months that I did it, I finished 18% from zero. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it was a lot of miles um, to put down and a lot of driving and I was hiking a lot. Um, and then I got diagnosed or my husband found a lump in my left breast um, in August of last year, August 14th, I think was the day he found it. And then... Um, on I mean I was like I'm just going to ignore it because <laughs> it's probably nothing but also kind of had a feeling it probably wasn't nothing and if you talk to people who have cancer they'll tell you they knew they had cancer before they were diagnosed and it's so true because you really do like you know there's something something's not right and it's not it's like an intuition almost so I made an appointment to go see my PCP um and that the next on um, uh, Monday, the 19th, I think it was no Monday, the 17th, I went in she, and then the nurse practitioner felt the lump and she was like, yeah, I'm going to send you to have a mammogram and I'm 37. So I'm pre mammogram age. Um, so she sent me to go get one and I was freaking out. Or, like I already was really nervous Yeah, because I was like in my head, I'm thinking it's nothing. And then to have her say it was something worth investigating you never really expect your doctor to agree when you're 
thinking that you're being paranoid. So then I go in and it was literally like three hours of testing. So, um, yeah. And it was horrible. It's like the worst experience. Um, I think I've ever, I would say that's probably the worst experience I've ever had. Um, and because of COVID, I was by myself. So I don't know, you've had a mammogram. So you go in and they do it. And then they put you in a room with all these other women in like pink robes. <laughs> At least that's where I go. That's what they do. It's like a waiting room for the results. And it's just me and all these elderly women. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. And I don't know what's going on. And then the nurse or the woman came back in and whispers in my ear, we're going to do another mammogram. And then we're going to send you for ultrasound. And I'm like, is this normal? Like, I don't know what this is, but this doesn't. And she's, it was really awkward. And you could tell she was trying to not say anything because they can't say anything. Yeah. So she um, brings me back in and they adjusted me in a different way to like, now looking back, I know they were trying to see my lymph nodes. So they had me kind of at a different angle so they could see my armpit more in the mammogram. And then I was like, is this normal procedure? And she's like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we do this for a baseline on new clients. And I'm like, okay, knowing she's not telling the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And then they bring me into the ultrasound room. And then again, they don't say anything. They just do the ultrasound. And it's so awkward. And I can see the cancer on the screen. It's this black thing. Yeah. And I was trying not to look at it. It was just like, I didn't want to see it, but I kept like, looking over because you know you can see have you ever had an ultrasound yeah. so you can see the machine you can see the screen and i could i'd look over and i would see the like it looked like the shape of a cloud almost like a like bumpy edges and then it was just black on the inside and it, it was everything else looks weird and it's hard to tell with an ultrasound what you're looking at if you're not a tech obviously but I could see that there was something there and it was definitely weird shaped and it was black and I just didn't want to see it. So I would look away and look at the ceiling light and just like pray and focus on (laughs) like I couldn't handle this. And then she left and she's like, I'm going to have radi radi um, radiology tech. I think is what it is. Come in and give you the results. And I'm just like, okay. So she comes in and she was really actually not a very, she had um, some issues, I think, with social engagements with people, like her social skills weren't the greatest. Um, so she comes in and she starts doing an ultrasound as well. And so then she stops and she says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to um, put in an order for a biopsy. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Do you think it's cancer? And she's like, yeah, I suspect cancer. And I'm like, I just broke down, like sobbing, couldn't believe that this was even happening. It didn't feel like it was real. It felt like this couldn't possibly be what's going on right now. And then um, I asked for my husband to come in the room at least because I was by myself. And um, as I'm like sobbing, the woman's having me sign paperwork to get the biopsy ordered. <laughs> She's describing how they do it. And I'm like, I'm not even listening to this person right now. I'm totally freaking out. They ended up having me meet. So I've had a few other women message me and say, I had to have biopsies. And of course, they're freaking out too, for the same reason. And um, there's a scale they use to rate your ultrasound, um, your radi, it's called a BIRAD scale. So one, two, three, four, five, and six are the numbers. 
if you're a number one, that's like almost no percent chance of it being um, suspicious. A six is a hundred percent chance it's or a hundred percent it's cancer. So mine was a five, which is 90 to 95% chance of cancer. And so that night when I had the bi- um, biopsy scheduled, they already had me meeting the surgeon that night. So I met with the surgeon and I was like, what does that mean? Like, this is all freaking me out. I have no clue about anything at this point because I have no family history of cancer either. So I meet with the um, surgeon and I'm still freaking out and I'm trying to like not have it be cancer. So I'm getting, trying to get her to convince me it's not cancer sort of, or convince her to change the results. Or think yourself out of cancer. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. So I'm sitting there on the, the exam table and, you know, she's like, I don't like to give percentages because you know, even though it's a BIRAD five and it's a 90 to 95% chance, there is a possibility it's not. And I'm like, yeah, right. You're just saying that to make me feel better. So anyways, I had the biopsy two days later. It was much more of a better experience because the people who did it were very nice. And they talked me through like what was on the screen, like what I was looking at in the ultrasound because they use an ultrasound to navigate the biopsy. So it's called a, uh, I think it's called a hollow needle biopsy and they use an ultrasound machine to guide themselves to where they're taking the skin out Mm -hmm. or whatever. So anyways, they showed me, they, they showed me on the screen what I was looking at and they told me the size and everything. And there was two, actually it was two tumors originally that they saw. Um, So they biopsied two. And then two days later I got the results and the doctor called me and said that it, um, it was cancer. So they that's one thing that shocked me a little is they call you to tell you these things. <laughs> Instead of like bringing you into the office. It's um, So I was with my mom and at that point it was, um, I was like, okay, it's cancer. And I had kind of processed it better. And I told my husband, I want you to be prepared. Like this is probably going to be cancer because I felt like I needed him to be prepared for that as well. Um, Cause it was terrifying. Yeah. And then um, Friday I was with my mom actually. And the doctor called and said that it was invasive ductal carcinoma and that there were two tumors. And then um, they also saw, so there was two tumors originally they saw, and there was a third and fourth in my left that they saw that were suspicious. So She's like, we need to get a clearer picture. So we're going to send you to get an MRI um, done. So then on Sunday, within like seven. As you're hearing this, like, because you were, you were cranking out the trails. I mean, you were, from what I can tell you, like you were feeling as strong and as healthy and as, as, I mean, just powerful as, as you've ever felt. Yeah, it was. For that. Yeah, this is definitely the healthiest I've ever been physically, by far the strongest I've ever been physically, right before my diagnosis. I was like, it was like the probably the way it is when you're a thru-hiker and you're really far into your thru-hike and you've trained into this body that you're like a machine and all you do is just hike. And I mean, I was up there hiking um, pretty big mountains like day after day after day and not taking a break. And it was 
it was doable for me. I actually called the doctor from trail for my original appointment. I called them because I was like, well, I'm going hiking. And then I'm like, well, maybe I should call. So then I called when I had service on trail to make the original appointment um, to see my primary care. And then um, I think it was um, Saturday after getting the news, I think that I was going to have cancer, that I had cancer. I'm pretty sure I went hiking the day after that. Um, but it was like, after getting that news, I couldn't be, my, my mind wouldn't allow me to be in any space other than the space of having cancer. Mm. Um, it was really, really hard to not be thinking about it and wanting to just be around my husband and my mom because I was terrified and I felt so unsafe. And, um, the weird thing is, is that you get diagnosed and you're like, okay, there's this terrible thing in my body. And then you wait to get it. Like I actually had the cancer cut out and then had chemo, but I had a month with this in my body. And I'm like, what are they doing? Like, shouldn't they be cutting this out of me? This is so weird to me that they're just letting it sit there. It's like a ticking time bomb almost. Um, I mean, because you were so strong, did it feel, I mean, inconceivable really that, that, I think that the part that was, it wasn't about the physical piece. It was that I was always afraid of getting cancer because I have a really big phobia of throwing up and also of dying, which I know everyone has a fear of dying. Um, but my dad died when I was nine and it was like something that triggered in me <clears throat> this really intense phobia of dying. And I kind of obsess over it a little and perseverate on death. And I always was afraid of cancer because to me, there's no way I could handle that. So I was like, there's no way I'll get, I can't get cancer because I can't handle that. That's the one thing I can't handle. Um, so it was more a mental thing for me than anything. It wasn't even about my physical strength. It was like, I can't handle that mentally. Um, but it was... At that point, I, I, at first, when I first got the news and I was going through the diagnostic process, which is like a month long, um, because they have to get the actual, um, the results of the, of the diagnostic, um, testing to see what type of cancer it is and then what's feeding the cancer. So that is the part that's, um, more important than the fact that you have cancer. It's what kind of cancer and what is making you have cancer. So that's what leads them to the chemo and the radiation and all those things. So the treatment basically. Yeah. So I, at that point, when I first, I got the diagnosis, I had the MRI, they actually found a fourth tumor in my right breast. So I ended up having four tumors total. Um, but the diagnostics um, or the pathology came back and said that I had, it's called HER2 positive, which means it's a more aggressive type of cancer. And that's what caused me to need to get the chemo. And so at the point where I was just going through getting the testing and I was a week after getting told or whatever, I was um, trying to not need chemo in my mind because <laughs> I was like, I can't do chemo. And also I was telling my body almost you're going to not have cancer anymore. And all the testings or all the treatment will be done by the end of this year. Cause then January, you're going to start working on this goal again. Um, 
So that was kind of like what I needed to do for myself. And obviously that's not how it works. Unfortunately not. Yeah. So I, um, but it it allows you, I think the space to, cause like what you were saying with like, I can't handle this. This, this is the thing I can't deal with. This is the thing that is just too much for me. And I feel like it gives you the space to start, dare I say, coming to terms with it or dealing with it. Even yeah. if you don't necessarily know that you're doing that. And yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it helps you evolve to a space where you're like, okay, this is, this is what we do now. Yeah. And I think that, um, so it's about a month before the surgery and that whole month was by far the most terrifying because I didn't know what was going to happen after. And you never know what they're going to find in there until they go in and cut it out. Um, and so it gave me this whole month of, I had to like really learn how to just be in the day. And it was so hard because I'm a planner to not move on to the next day and plan that out in my head because you don't know and things would change. It would go from being just this one tumor to four to now it's her two positive. Like you never knew what the next day was going to hold. And it was not always a good thing. Um, So I had to learn how to really, really focus on each day and try really hard to not think about anything past that day. And, um, did you get out to the, any of the trails? That I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I hiked, um, a couple of, um, other mountains that are larger mountains up in the whites throughout the, the process of going through this and sort of, um, thought of like, there was one hike in particular I did that it was like in my head, I was thinking this could be the last time. I come up here for a really long time and I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, who knows? I, I, I was like in a place where I was thinking, well, what if I never get to go hiking again? Like, what if this is the last time I even do this trail? So it really kind of made me slow down a lot and really appreciate the time on the trail in a different way. Because when I was working on um, hiking the trails that summer and this massive goal it wasn't as much about slowing down and spending time just in the woods. It was about, I have a goal and my mind is focused on getting this done for today and like head down, pushing through. Well, and and you, then, had, you had so, the goal is so large that like you have to, it's a job. You have to tick through the miles. You have to tick through, particularly because you have to do so much traveling in order to get to each of the trails and, and that yeah. Type of thing, like. Yeah, it was like um, that was my job for the summer, um, and I will say I actually had said this. I think I said this to Twerk when I was talking to him that um, hiking prepared me for cancer treatment in so many ways, and there are such similarities to it that it's kind of a little weird. And also, I don't think I would have been able to handle what I went through with cancer as well if I had. Um, not been a hiker and yeah yeah like well I, I and I read like your postings about it and and I I think I'm trying to find it but I think probably the one of the more profound ones that you said like like that connects the two so perfectly is no matter how much you cry you still have to do the miles yeah 
you know, there's no escaping the miles. No. And there was times where I like this past summer, um, cause I hike solo. So also like that part of it, it's all on me to do what I need to do. Yeah. Um, I don't have someone else to say, Hey, I, uh, I don't really know where we're going. Let's, you know, figure this out. Or, uh, um, I don't want to keep going. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> done. I'm, done. I'm done. And, you know, I've hiked with other people now. I've hiked with someone else a few times. So I can definitely tell there is a huge difference when you're hiking with someone else. You don't have to have that internal motivation as much because you do have that other person that you're like, well, I can't stop. And they're with me and it almost mo- makes you go, I think. You can count on, you can kind of depend on them. It, what is it they, you know, they say with through hiking, you never quit on a bad day. And then if you're with a team, it's like, okay, like you both have to agree to quit at the same time, which doesn't happen generally because your bad day is their good day or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, um, and I, I've always gone solo. So I've never had to like, I've never knew about this other thing that was so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're hiking with someone else and you don't feel like going any further, you're probably not going to say something unless you're super comfortable with the person. You're just going to keep going. Yeah. And when you're solo, I mean, you really have to use a lot of mental fortitude to kind of push through those moments where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, and also with like when you're in a team or when you're hiking with other people, you know, if you don't want to navigate, like somebody else can take that up. Somebody else can navigate for a while. Or um, if you get to a spot where you're like, oh my God, I think I'm lost. Shit. What do I do? How do I get back? Where am I going? You know, like it's sort of like having two people kind of defraise that panic type of a thing versus if it's just you you have to sit in that panic. You have to get your panic under control. You have to make the decisions. You have to take the educated guess and go. Yeah. And I've had a lot of times now where I've had that happen um, or even just the managing of the panic because I have a panic disorder too, actually. And um, I have, I have to manage it and know how to manage the anxiety when it rises. And um, I've had a few times where I'm lost, or I don't like to call it lost. I just like to say that I am not where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Okay. Because it it really isn't that I'm lost. It's that I am not where I should be. (laughs) So or you can example other uh, the other uh, philosophy of you're exactly where you're supposed to be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Completely off trail. (laughs) But I, I've had to learn how to not panic in those situations because it's scary and also frustrating because more than likely it's going to be for whatever reason, whenever you get lost or off trail, it always seems to be that you're to get where you need to be. You have to go uphill. (laughs) I swear that's like the rule. So and usually I'm tired because obviously I've been out there for a while and I probably screwed up because I'm tired. So for example, last summer I was hiking and I got off trail by, I did a mile 
long side trail. It was like a path. It wasn't really technically a trail. Um, and I didn't realize I was off trail until about a mile in um, because none of the trails I was on were marked. So it was a very blatantly obvious path, but it was not where I was supposed to be. So I got down this thing for about a mile and then I'm like, okay, well, there's clearly no further. This, this doesn't go any further. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, this is not the trail. So then I backtrack. So then I'm like, well, where is the trail? So then I start like kind of doing even some other things that possibly could be the trail, but they're not because the whole area had actually had, um, had some active, um, not not logging, but like people were out there tagging trees and stuff. So, so helpful. Sur- surveying or something had been done, and there were there were um, survey markers and stuff on the trees. And I'm thinking like they do that up here as a trail marker sometimes, as survey markers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I ended up having to backtrack a mile back up to where I was lost from. So I've always told myself if you don't know where you are, you go back to where you last knew where you were. So that was a mile back. Um, go back there and I had to use a, the map, the guidebook pages. Cause there's no, gotta occur any of that for these trails. Um, so I'm looking at the guidebook and I'm reading it and I'm like trying to imagine myself on trail reading it to like navigate. Do I go right or left type thing? And finally figured out to keep going a different direction than I had gone. And I was right. Like I went back on trail. Um, but yeah, I mean, people would probably, I think if it was me a while ago, I would have freaked out because it is scary um, and frustrating, I think, too. Oh, terribly frustrating. Especially when you have a deadline that you're working <laughs> on and yeah. two mi- like two hours north and you know you've got to drive home now and you just tacked another two miles onto your day. and um, But every time that you do that, every time that that happens, I should say, you're in a better space of saying, okay, I know what I need to do now. Yeah. And it's like a muscle. It's a skill. It's a, it's a, a process that you start to internalize that I think is so important. That's part of why I intentionally go solo still. Um, Besides the fact that I do like it, it is to me so important to keep that skill. And also I intentionally don't use um, navigational apps at all because I like to try and force myself to figure it out on my own without using a GPS of any sort. Cause I want to be able to read the forest and I want to be able to say, okay, that does not look right. Or that does look right. And we have a lot of trails up here that are in the wilderness areas, which means there's no trail markers or they're very few and far between and they don't clear blowdowns. And there's just, it's in, it's, kind of a nightmare sometimes, but I like the fact that there's this puzzle to it. And that's what drew me actually to doing tracing redlining, because it's not just about um, going out there and following a, a, a straight path. It's about a puzzle and it's about using my brain before and while on trail. Um, going back to the whole cancer versus hiking thing, I definitely feel like there were a lot of times I've gone hiking where I physically am exhausted. I will cry. I'm, I'm, you know, having a meltdown because I don't want to keep going because I'm exhausted or I'm terrified and I, I can't 
figure out what to do. And um, you don't have a choice when you're six miles into the woods, but to keep going to get back to your car. Um, yep. Even if you like, even if you call search and rescue, it's a five hour wait plus, you know, and they're going to still have you walk. So <laughs> there were times where I'd be exhausted and I'd be, several miles into the woods and be like, I don't want to keep going. I'm so I'm done. Like I'm tired. My feet hurt. I, um, I'm hungry. And I would be like, well, too bad, too bad. You don't really have a choice. And, uh, learning how to read my body's signals that it was giving me. So, um, am I hungry? Am I tired or am I thirsty? Do I need to stop for five minutes and just stop because I have a tendency to just go and not listen to the signals um, because I'm doing miles and not willing to give myself a break. Um, but going through treatment, there's a lot of things that you don't have a choice. You have to keep doing it. And it's more than hiking. It's like, you really don't have a choice hiking. You could say, I don't feel like going today and stay home, but like I had to go to chemo Thursday, <laughs> things like that um, are a little different, but at the same time, it really does kind of mentally prepare you, I think, um, because you're strong enough to say, I just got to put my head down and get through this and not even really think about what I'm doing because I can't do that right now. Um, and there were times on trail where that was how I would be because I would be so tired or scared or I'd be in a thunderstorm on this really awful trail and no there was no choice but to get the heck off the trail because <laughs> I'm above tree line and like all you do is you just focus on the trees and that's your goal and go <laughs> and with chemo and cancer treatment you kind of turn into that mint you get in that mindset where you don't think about what they're putting in your body this moment because you can't handle that you just have to get through it and get into the next day and then the next day and like not focus too far ahead. And I, um, I feel like hiking made me, made me okay with being uncomfortable and being able to sit in that uncomfortableness and then help me go through chemo and cancer treatment because I was able to sit in that uncomfortableness because I had already done that before. That's a, I think that's a huge thing with anything. Like having done something before, having seen something before, having worked through it before gives you the power to do the next thing. Yeah. Like I had, if I look back at things that I did when I first started hiking, I had a couple of times where I'd have meltdowns and be like having a panic attack on trail and have to just sit there and like talk myself down because I'd be terrified and almost pass out and like just really worked up. And then I had to get back to the car. So I had to pull it together enough to keep going. And especially in the winter, the for some reason, the winter is a huge, I hike solo in the winter too, which is really, <laughs> I saw sometimes, those pictures. <laughs> sometimes it's a little, un, um, not quite as safe maybe, but like, I try to be very cognizant of the fact that I'm taking that risk. Um, but there are times in the winter where I'm terrified and I have to talk myself down because you can't stop and be like, I'm just going to sit here when it's negative degrees out because you'll catch hypothermia and die. And you have to keep hiking and walking to get back to your car because you can't stop 
in the winter. And there's times where I've hiked and my legs are shaking so bad because I'm having a panic attack. And I have to just, I feel like I have rubber legs and I have to just keep going because I'm like, I can't stop here. I have to keep going. Yeah. Um, you got to, you got to do the job. Yeah. And I think um, for sure, there's so many similarities with chemo. I mean, you have to do it. And once you're, it's in your body, it's in your body. There's no getting it out. And you can't be like, well, now I don't like this. So can we not? And have this not be what's happening right now because it doesn't work that way. And it's just like with hiking, you have, you're out there, you got to get back to the car um, or wherever the trailhead or, I mean, with through hiking, I think of how they only have so many days worth of food. You can't just stop and say, well, I'm done now. Um, now you, in your, in your Instagram, you were talking about, I think this was fairly early on in your, your, cancer journey you were talking about an mri where you were panicking um, yeah that was or, that was where you had where you had a feeling you were going to panic so to speak like you kind of going yeah. into it even yeah so that was the day that was the first week of the diagnostic process um the one i was talking about way before when we were talking um so they give you it i didn't know because the, the lady goes oh you're gonna have an mri i've had mris on my back so i know what that looks like well when you have an mri on your chest it is completely different <laughs> and Note to self just so you know you lay on your stomach you have this strange contraption that your boobs hang into and you have your face in like the thing when you are getting a massage and i'm a, i'm a, i would say maybe a little claustrophobic i don't particularly like being in closed spaces um not a, i'm not like going to freak out normally but I was already ahead of heightened anxiety. I'm getting cancer diagnosis. Um, yeah. So the other thing is she didn't tell me I was getting a contrast MRI, which is an IV. So I don't like getting IVs. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared mentally for those things. And I need to mentally prepare for things. So I go there and the woman's like, oh, you didn't know it's a contrast. And I'm like, no. So she gives me the IV and she blows my vein up in one arm, which hurts, by the way. So then she has to take it out and put it in the other arm. So then I get in the machine with this IV needle. And it's like you're trying to navigate with this thing in your arm. And I didn't know it was going to be on my stomach. Like there was so many factors. And it's about, I think, 30, 45 minutes or something like that. They're in there. And you have to hold it together. Because if you move or you screw up, you have to start all over. So they had me in the thing and you're, you're in a very, like the way it is, it's different than with your back because you're all the way in the machine and it's like your head's not out the other side. And then you have the headphones on because it's loud. And I'm like, this is too isolating. <laughs> and I, she put, they like move me in and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take me out. Cause I have to like pull myself there. I have to pull myself together because I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> so then they have me move me back out and I like get myself into a better place mentally. I don't even know how I did it, but I was, I just did. And um, I kind of like, I think told myself sort of like, it's like being in a um, tanning bed. Um, Cause that is very similar to size. Mm -hmm. So I and closed my eyes so I wouldn't have to be where I was by seeing where I was and just they have you listen to music a lot in the headphones. 
So I'm in there and I'm just like holding it together for the 30 to 45 minutes. And, you know, they're talking to you through the headphones. How are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm fine. Got through it. And it was, it was like after the fact, the adrenaline dump. And you're just like, oh, you know, crying, upset, went on Instagram. Had I have this tech, this habit of processing through Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Where when if if you anyone who followed me through the diagnostic process, I actually should post some of the old stories that I had put up because I literally when they called me to tell me I was diagnosed with HER2 positive, which is like bad because that means chemo which was my number one thing I didn't want to do when they told me that I literally got on Instagram and posted I think like three minutes of stories and it was just me crying and being really upset at doctors for calling to tell you these things and just anyways so after the MRI I I got on Instagram I think and processed through there (laughs) and then um it, yeah. al- it also feels like in this process or in this journey almost, it's like every time you say, okay, that that's the thing that I just, I can't do. Okay. Well, I'm having to do this now. Well, this next thing is the thing that I can't do. And then I have to do that. And then this is okay. Well, okay, fine. I'm doing these things, but I can't do that. That's how it is with hiking too. It's so much <laughs> like hiking. It's not even funny because I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've said in hiking, I can't do that. I can't do 20 miles. I can't do five mountains in on that ridge or hike in winter. Like there are so many I can'ts that I've said to myself through, through, can't, um, through hiking in the years that I've been hiking. And I've done all of them and been able to get through them. And it is, again, another similarity. And I I also hate, I love the fact that there is that similarity. And I also don't want to downplay the severity or the seriousness of a cancer diagnosis by making people think, well, I went through, I hiked. So I'm like, it's it's not scary. It's as scary as hiking, because it's a million times scarier than hiking. But I, um, for me, it is how I handle cancer is through hiking in a lot of ways. It is like my um, counseling, I guess, maybe. Um, going through chemo, it was once I knew I had to have chemo, it get, and I had about a month to process that, which was good in a way because I didn't want chemo. I actually told them I wasn't going to do it. They sat me down with the, these, um, director of surgery and she's oh, wow. like yeah she's like look because I was like I'm not doing chemo I I was like what's the chance of it coming back if I don't and it was a 40% chance within five years and I'm like eh I'll roll the dice <laughs> <laughs> and so she sits me down and she's like look 10 years ago your cancer diagnosis would have been a death sentence but we have this new drug that is targeted for it. And she's like, you will die of this. And they're not, they don't really sugarcoat it um, with adults going through cancer treatment. But I think that that part of that is because they're trying to startle you because I think there's, not that I've ever gone through this, but I think there's a lot of denial. Like in your head, there's a lot of denial and they've got to push through that. Yeah. And 
I remember when I first got diagnosed, I have a few friends who have, okay, I have a friend whose mom passed away of cancer and I have a friend who had cancer. And there were like my two people that are like my guardian angels, I call them because they were there for me when I was going through this. And like, they were my people. The girl who had cancer, she had to have chemo and she had very, she had a more um, advanced stage and everything because she waited like a year before getting the cancer taken care of. And I remember saying to myself, well, she had to go through that, but I'm not going to have to because my cancer is not, it's almost like you tell yourself you don't have the the real cancer. You only have like the fake cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I ended up finally having, to, to, I was going to have to have chemo. So while after having surgery, I had a month of recovery to process this and I couldn't hike through all of the post-surgery because you can't, because I had right. pretty serious surgery. Um, so anyways, I told myself, I can't hike through after post-surgery for a legitimate reason. Like, I'm not going to push this. I'm going to listen to the doctors. But I'll be able to hike through chemo because there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to physically. So that was kind of my mindset is I almost, I don't want to say I looked forward to chemo, but I looked forward to being allowed to go hiking again. And to me, that was how I was able to get through chemo is I had this very explicit goal that I set for myself before starting that I would do five days a week of exercise through chemo and that I would do at least one mountain a week. And I was pretty pissed that I had to get off trail as it was because of cancer. So this was kind of my way of being like, screw you (laughs) for taking this from me. Um, I'm going to take this back. Yeah. And so I asked, I asked my oncologist, you know, what, what are the rules or what do you, what do you, what can I do? Am I allowed to do this? And so my chemo regimen, I had once a week, um, Taxol and Herceptin. So I had Taxol is like a, the kind of chemo where you lose your blood counts and you lose your hair. And it's like a real serious chemo. Versus Herceptin, which is more targeted, and I'm still getting Herceptin. I'll get it till October, but it's more mild. Anyways, so I asked the doctor, am I allowed to do this sort of? And she's like, actually, we encourage our patients to exercise through chemo because some of the only thing that seems to help with some of the side effects of um, the tiredness, because tiredness is huge, and then it's called chemo brain where you get really, really foggy. And I don't even really know how to explain it unless you've gone through it. It just feels really awful. Um, it's almost like your brain stops working. She said, the only things that help, the only thing that seems to help is exercise. And I was like, I can do that. So <laughs> I got that one. Yes. And I was like, and then she said that a lot of people are so tired. They don't want to. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's, how you are when you're a hiker, you're always tired. You just do it anyways. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, I can do that. So I did. I hiked through treatment. I did five days a week of something. And it wasn't always a lot. Like there were times where it was a 20 minute walk on the treadmill and that was all I could handle. But at least I got up and out of bed and like moved my body. And um, I would purposely plan my hikes so that it would be, you know, the better days of the week where I was less affected. And the further you go through treatment, the worse you feel um, because your blood counts continue to drop the whole time. So by week 12, you're like at your weakest. 
And um, I did three 4,000 footers, which are like, they're considered like the bigger mountains in New Hampshire. I know they don't sound big for people on the West Coast, but they're... <laughs> but they're um, something. They're definitely something. Yeah. And they're, it's a different type of hiking out here. Um, so I did three of those through treatment. And then I did all these other littler mountains up here. Um, and then... When, when did you do Tecumseh? That was the last week of treatment I got can- that, uh, chemo. That was the first one, right? The first 4,000 footer that you did? That was the last one. That was the last one. So I did Pierce, um, probably like three weeks into treatment. I did Musilaki, I think six weeks in, and then I didn't do any 4Ks for a bit. And it was also winter. So it's different. You can't just be like, I'm going to go hike out there in winter and like not carry snowshoes or um, worry about breaking trail and stuff like that. And that's not easy to do even when you're not going through chemo. So I had to also take that into consideration, but, um, I, I know which four K's are the ones that are broken out. I know which ones are like the easier ones because I've hiked these a lot of times. So I ended up doing Pierce first and then I did Musilaki and then I waited and then didn't do any. And then after my 12th round, I went and did Tecumseh and that was definitely all three were very difficult. Um, looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That is so probably not safe (laughs) and really pushing myself because I mean, my blood counts are really low and I didn't know how weak I was because I was always feeling that way. I became my normal. And now looking back, I'm like, holy cow, I was so weak. Like physically, my blood counts are so low. I could had like no oxygen delivering to my my muscles. And um, but anyways, the way that you write up this, the hike of Tecumseh, Mm -hmm. it sort of feels like this. I'm going to call it a, a, a moment, like a turning point. And maybe that's because it was, you know, after week 12 of chemo and, and what have you, because the way that you write it up, it sounds like you're like, I don't know if I was ever going to get out there, if I was going to be able to do the this type of hiking again. And even though it was hard and what have you, just the doing of it on a mountain that isn't necessarily even your favorite mountain. Yeah, it's really not. You know, it it was sort of like an affirmation. Yeah, it was, um, it was a great feeling. Um, I don't particularly, I don't particularly like that mountain because it's on a ski mountain and it's just not wildernessy enough for me. And it's about three miles up and then three miles down and you gain about 2,500 feet in the three miles. So it's a decent elevation, um, gain and it's not any, there's no switchbacks, it's like a relentless slog and yeah. And so I actually ran into someone who knew me from Instagram at the beginning of the trail. And at that point I was already tired because I had like no blood, ox- like no oxygen getting to my muscles and had to stop constantly. And then she was like, Oh, I know who you are. And she cheered or said something really nice. And it was so what I needed in that moment. And then, you know, keep going and slogging along and then you get to like sort of a little bit of a, rep- a reprieve 
where it flattens out a little bit before you do the final little climb. And it was like in that moment on that, that flat stretch, I just looked around and it was like, this is home to me in so many ways. And the, the trails are always sort of, for me, they are home away from home and just the way it feels to be out there in the woods. It's like, this is exactly what I need right now. And I feel so at peace and just um, safe and just this sense of calmness. And then it was like, you know, I'm smiling and I'm just feeling really happy and kept going, obviously got to the top and then just hung out for a bit, which is something I never really do. I usually just go back down, but it was like, I could take my time. And I also knew that was the end for me is that was the end of the worst. And I got through it and now I can, it's only going to be better from here. And I got through something I never thought I could get through and hiked through it. And just, it was like, I hiked Musalaki and I hiked Pierce and I did all these other mountains through treatment that were for me, but they were more for me saying to cancer, screw you. Tecumseh was kind of like for me because I just was doing it because I love hiking and it had nothing to do with proving anything to anyone. It was just because I needed to be out there and just get my soul washed, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was you know, not a mountain I particularly care for, but the experience itself was just exactly what I needed. It's so interesting because we were talking before about how doing the hard things on trail have prepared or set the groundwork for you to do the hard things now in your cancer diagnosis. But I also feel like the reverse is true as well in that the cancer diagnosis and going through this process with it has made you more present, has made you more in the moment, taking the time to enjoy being at the top of Tecumseh. Um, and that has also switched your mindset about a lot of things. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too with this coming summer. Um, I had everything planned. You know, my goal was I finished school in a week. So I'm finishing up my second semester. I'm working on a master's in um, fine arts and writing. So this was my first year in that actually. Um, and I had to do things differently, obviously, because of the treatments and stuff. But this is my last week. So I'm like, oh, I'm free <laughs> in a little bit. Besides the little bit of writing I do, that's just um, freelancing. And I had my summer planned. I had all these hikes planned, um, ideas of what I wanted to do. And it was going to be all these trails that would get me more towards finishing the um, hiking, all the trails in the whites. And then I had this moment like a weekend, I think it was about a week and a half ago now where I was like, just burnt out, I guess, um, from trying to be doing for I don't want to say everyone else, but in a way for everyone else. And I needed to just take a huge step back and really think about what my goal is in life, I guess now, because now I can be able to focus on that because now I'm done with the really awful chemo. I'm done with school. And so I took a week off social media, which is sort of a big deal for me because I'm pretty active on there. Um, and I 
literally took all my plans for the summer that I had already done and just put them in a different spot. I took them out of my folder thing that I use to keep track of my life. My planner took them out of there and just (laughs) made a list of everything I wanted to do. Like what would be fun. And so I did a list of those hikes and that's what I'm planning on doing this summer is those. And I'm working on trying to put on the pieces for a book because I well I have two books in mind, but my memoir, which is for my master's, is a book link publishable manuscript. So nice. laying down the groundwork for that. And then also I want to write a book about my cancer treatment and the process itself and just going through it just to process it almost for me more than anything. But um, in order to do that, the, the memoir, I need to be in a place mentally where I'm living in my past almost and like creating this strange like bubble around myself where I'm able to put myself in those places again. Um, and in order to do that, I need to be a little more isolated. So that's kind of my focus is hiking the things that make me feel good and I'm happy doing them and then writing as much as humanly possible <laughs> this summer. Um, and I definitely, I, I would say, you know, the cancer treatment and the, the diagnosis and just going through all of that has shaped me into such a different person than I was a year ago. Um, the other thing that I, I definitely have shif- shifted in my mindset um, where I wanted to be done in a year for this, this goal of redlining. Now I'm like, I have my whole life ahead of me, hopefully. And why would I want to rush through something when I have an entire life? I am not, I am not restricted to one more year of life. And that's a good thing. Um, I think that especially as a woman, there's so many deadlines that you're sort of expected to meet through life, you know, and I'm 37. I haven't done a lot of the things you normally do by that age. And in my twenties, that was really hard to not be that person that everyone was. Um, and hiking is actually what kind of made me feel like I knew where I needed to be. And I was in the right place when I found hiking. Um, because before that I was kind of lost and living for other people, I think. Um, and living for society and what they wanted me to do as a woman. Um, the common thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think, um, I'm okay with where I am and I'm happy with the way my, my life has turned out and I wouldn't want to be the person I thought I wanted to be 10 years ago. Um, and at the same time, like as much as it sucks that I got diagnosed with cancer, it has brought me so many good things along with the bad, like all these opportunities to write for these different places and share my story and help other people and meet people that I never would have met if I hadn't gotten this diagnosis. Um, Plus it really shows you what's really important and um, how much we get overwhelmed or worked up over little silly things that aren't really that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, I, I am not the same person I was for sure. Before I got diagnosed, I was a completely different person. And that's not necessarily a bad thing that I'm different because I think I'm happier now. And that's, and that's such an important distinction to make because 
so I mean, it's, it's completely like the, the word that's coming to my mind is like, it's completely, well, duh. Like you're a completely different person now. Like you've gone through the fire. It changes people. It changes you. Um, and th to be at a place where you are happy about the change and who the person is on the other side of the fire, um, is so just powerful. I definitely think that if it wasn't for hiking, I would be in a different place going through cancer treatment too. Um, I've had a few people message me that they know they have maybe a relative or, um, yeah, mostly that's the case or a friend that they're like, wow, the way you're handling this is so amazing. And this person that I know when they got their diagnosis, they basically just shut down and stopped doing anything and fell into like a really dark place. And I mean, part of it for sure is my personality is to just push back and be kind of rebellious against what I'm, I, I tend to rebel against something, um, and want to prove it wrong. But I also am a hundred percent convinced that if I hadn't gone through, if I hadn't hiked through treatment, I would be in a different place mentally. And that was by far the thing that got me through. Um, besides the help of my family, my husband and my mom, for sure. The, the thing that got me through the week, a lot of the times was knowing I had this goal and I had I had no control over any of the other stuff that was being done to me, but I could control the fact that I could go walk. I could go hike and that I could control. So I would focus on just that. And I don't think I would have gone through treatment as well if it hadn't been for that, for that goal and getting outside and, and just being out in what doing what I loved. Um, I feel like, being outdoors, being in nature, hiking is a form of therapy. Like, oh, yeah. I, I just talk to too many people who say some version of, you know, anxiety, depression, eating, uh, you know, or, or other mental health difficulties and being out in nature and sort of communing. Um, or getting some tough love from other nature, whichever way it works, um, has helped them. I, I mean, it's basically converted them to the hiking or outdoor lifestyle, pretty much. Yeah. So when I started hiking in 2015, so I, before that, I, um, hiked maybe like half, probably like 10 times with my spouse between 2008 and 2013. And then we didn't hike and, um, of course, I would. I was in a different place where I would always go do something with my spouse. I couldn't really be by myself and do stuff. It was just not who I was. And then I decided one day I wanted to go hiking, and he didn't feel like going. And I was like, well, "I'm going to go by myself." <laughs> so I did, and it was the moment that sh that changed me. And I was instantly hooked. Instantly wanted to do more, and was so empowered and cannot recommend it enough, especially to women, because I think that there's a still this terrible um, perception that we still as women shouldn't be doing these things or, you know, expected to not be able to do them. So I go out and I do this hike and it was not a big deal, but it was. And I felt, so I always struggle with, I've struggled a lot with my weight 
my, as an adult and I've struggled with my self image and how I look, especially in trying to be skinny and trying to be smaller than I am. And I would exercise was punishment or exercise was a way to lose weight for me and to be able to eat junk. I'd exercise for years. And then I found hiking and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is fun exercise. And so it totally shifted my perspective of, of what exercise is. And it also, um, it made me learn to be not focused on what my body looked like, but focus on what it could do. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it doesn't matter if I'm 180 pounds. If I'm 180 pounds of muscle, I can do way more things than I could do if I was 140 pounds of fat. And it was like, it took me years to build strength and to be as strong as I was this summer. But like, I weigh a lot more now than I did back when I first started hiking, but I'm way stronger now. And I, I don't weigh myself, but I know how much I weigh because of chemo, they weigh you. But like, I have changed how I look at my body in a lot of ways. And I do struggle now with the weight gain from going through treatment and just sitting for months. Um, But at the same time, I know I can get back to where I was. I just have to be patient with myself and give myself time. Um, But I feel like hiking taught me how to look at my body in a different way. And it, it really, it was so empowering to know that um, I could do it on my own. And I really feel like it was a huge shift in how I looked at myself physically, like what I saw in the mirror, learning how to appreciate the, the, what my body could do, not what it looked like. Um, and plus when you're in the woods, you don't see yourself. You don't necessarily have the option of looking at what you look like because there's no mirrors. And just the other thing about, um, hiking that my mind shit, my mindset shifted was what's important for items in my like world. So what do I really need to be happy? Um, do I need all these things? Do I need to have a three bedroom, two bath house and, you know, this particular car or these things, this type of clothing, um, material things, like all of that has changed. Um, and it was all because of one hike. So (laughs) (laughs) who knew that one little hike would have that ripple or domino effect? Yeah. And I think that, um, it's like, there's so much about this community that I also didn't really have a, um, I never had a click when I was in high school. I never had like a group. I was not part of a group. I was not even as an, a little bit older, I never had a community that I felt got me. And then when I found out about through hikers and that whole piece, that was like another revelation for me because I was like, Oh my gosh, there are all these people out there that are like, so like me in so many ways. I love this. I finally have a people. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's so much. I wish that, I know that it's not for everybody. And I know there are a lot of people out there who have their own thing that makes them happy that isn't hiking. But like, I hope that whatever, I hope that everybody has their thing that is their hiking, because there's nothing else that will make me feel as happy as this, to finally have your place. And I mean, as you say, to 
to find your people. Yeah. To find the community that supports kind of, it, it feels like the thing that I love, even though I am not one of them yet, um, the thing that I love about through hikers is that they support their own doing anything. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're hiking or if you're not hiking, they're just like, go, go do you go be you. Um, we love it. Yeah. That was one thing I actually, I remember listening to your podcasts a few years ago. I listened to them like a wicked law on trail. And this was before you were going to do the PCT, like you were preparing to do it. And I remember you saying like, I'm not a through hiker yet. I'm not a through hiker yet. And I just kept thinking, but that doesn't mean you're not hiker trash. (laughs) (laughs) And you, that's one thing that I, so I were, I wrote for the trek for a long time. And I always felt sort of this imposter syndrome because I never was a through hiker, but I worked for the track and I had, I had tried my hand at through hiking and it just wasn't where I needed to be at that moment. It wasn't where it wasn't my time. And I've done some very short long distance. I've done some short over um, backpacking trips. And one in particular was a through hike, but it was only 55 miles. And I think that um, just because you haven't ever done a 2000 mile walk in the woods does not mean that you haven't got a revelation or a re- sort of a experience in the wilderness. That's not worthy. I I think I actually wrote about this once that it doesn't matter how long it is. as long, if It's what you come like, what comes out of it for you. And even if it's a three mile walk, if you're out there and it's like, you just had this major breakthrough, you may get more out of that than a person who did a 2000 mile hike. Um, and I do think that that's one thing I do feel is a little bit um, frustrating sometimes with the hiking community is that it's almost like a rite of passage that you have to do a through hike to be a, a hiker. And I struggled with that for years that I wasn't a true hiker because I had never done a through hike. And then I found redlining and I was like, yeah, you know what? This is all really hard and maybe even harder than a through hike. I think now I'm a hiker. <laughs> And, um, I think it's more of a mindset than anything, than an actual, you know, thing that you, a patch that you put on your backpack or I think we're, it's more of a mindset in my opinion. Yeah. It, it is interesting that you, I, I shouldn't even use, it's not interesting. It's true. It's, it's funny because what you're saying and, and particularly what you're saying to me is so true, truthful. And, and I think you nailed it, actually, um, in calling it imposter syndrome. Um, you know, I have gone out, I've done the, you know, done the hikes and the, you know, but they're all day hikes and that kind of thing. But it really is a feeling of, of imposter. I can't speak to that because I haven't done X, Y, and Z. I haven't reached yeah. this, overcome this hurdle of this thing that I've built in my head as, as what it has to be. And it's really hard to get past that. And I'm still struggle with that even where I'm like, gosh, I never did a long trail. So I'm, I'm not a real hiker. And I've tried to remind myself that the day hikers, people who do day hiking, they work full-time jobs. They go out on the weekends. They are doing, you know, arguably more difficult things because they have to still live a full-time life and hike. They're not just hiking. And I think that a lot of what that whole imposter syndrome 
revolves around is the fact that you feel like, well, I haven't done the big miles. I haven't spent days and days and weeks and weeks in the woods. So I'm not as experienced. So I'm not as real of a hiker, but to try and navigate a full-time life and go hiking is just as difficult and maybe even more so because you're also giving things up in order to go do that. Um, like you're not going to the kid's birthday party on the weekend because you're choosing to hike um, or you're um, having to work extra hours during the week so that you can have a day off to go hiking. And um, one thing that's always confusing to me is how through hikers won't always become day hikers. It's like a very strange thing to me that they tend to be a one or the other. And yeah. I can't imagine going a week without hiking. And I, I, I always wonder, how do you go be a through hiker and do 2000 miles and then come home and not hike until your next through hike? That to me would be torture. Um, I guess it's just a different way of doing hiking, maybe. And I think, again, you, you highlight the point that there is not just one way to experience a trail or one way to experience nature. Um, you know, there are, there are so many different ways and so many different experiences of it. I know like Twerk's interviewing a lot of people from all different walks of life. And I think Ashley Manning, mm -hmm. you might've just had her, I think yeah. on here. Yeah. She's a white, I think white water rafting guide. And I mean, she's still doing nature. <laughs> she's still experiencing the outdoors and getting what she needs to get out of it. And I love the fact that it's like we're diversifying the people who are out there in the physical sense, but we're also doing it in the recreational sense now, which is something that that has never been done until Twerk started doing these because it was usually like, you're a hiker and that's what you do. And those are your people. Now we're like, okay, you're also this, well, you know, you're a whitewater rafter or you're, um, Oh, let's see, what else is he interviewing people like people that are hunters or people that are horseback riders? I mean, there's, if you're experiencing the outdoors and you're doing it in a way that brings you joy, then we're all doing it for the same ultimate reason. And I love that. It's like making our community that much bigger. Yeah. It, at the end of the day, hopefully it's about the joy of it mm -hmm. in, in whatever way that, that, that joy comes to you, you know? Um, and the acceptance that everybody's joy is, can be found in different ways in different places. I can say that one thing I've learned since getting cancer is that it's not worth doing something that's going to make you miserable because you could get cancer all of a sudden and look back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I wasted my time doing that thing to prove to other people that I could do that thing because now I can't get that time back. And it's like, that was part of my mindset shift with the redlining is I'm doing this for me, but I'm doing it for other people too. And feeling obligated to do it because I made an announcement about it on social media. And that's not a reason to do something. And I am not wasting my time doing that. <laughs> and like, I feel like people oftentimes feel obligated to do something because they have that pressure, which isn't always a bad thing. But at the same time, getting your life, looking at your life through the lens of the, how it's so finite and not forever, it changes how you want to live it. Um, 
And I'm not willing to waste time doing something now that doesn't bring me joy um, or benefit me in some way. If it's, if it's an activity that I'm choosing to do, because it's not worth it. Like you could end up getting hurt and never be able to do whatever that is again. Like do it because you enjoy doing it, not to prove to other people that you're worthy of their approval or, or that you're tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not worth it. And I look at people who are, I have, there's a few people who are local hikers that are attempting things that I'm like, gosh, are you doing that for you though? Or are you doing that to prove to everybody that you're awesome? Or to get the follows on social media. Like, don't do it for that reason because it's not worth it. I never tried to do this to get followers. I just, especially the cancer piece. I did that because I was like completely caught off guard and I never wanted anyone to go through what I went through. And I was like, if that means telling everybody about it so they know ahead of time, then I'll do that because (laughs) I didn't know anyone who had this. I never had a family history of it. And then... I'm only 37. Like there's so many things that it completely caught me off guard. And all I wanted was for no one else to ever feel that way again. Like the way I felt, especially when I first got diagnosed, I was telling so many friends that were girls, like, go get your, go get a mammogram or check yourself. Cause I didn't, cause you don't know. How are you dealing with that? Or how have you dealt with that? Um, well, Honestly, it's like when you're in treatment, you are just getting through the day and you're just able to handle so much because it is so scary that you almost go, I I almost feel like you dissociate big time. So I, I know I'm living this life and I know I'm going through what I'm going through, but like there, when I look back at chemo and I blogged every week, I wrote a post I'm really glad I did because I genuinely feel like looking back, I don't remember a lot because I was so mentally strung out that that I was probably like dissociating a lot of the time. Um, You, you, I think now I'm able to slowly begin to look back and process it a little bit better. The number one most difficult thing for me, it hasn't been the fact that I had to go through chemo and that it's been now I have to face this body the rest of my life. And that is a very difficult thing to do. It's not like, oh, I had a breast reduction because I wanted smaller breasts or I, I I feel like this type of cancer is a work. It's harder to process because you're losing a part of you that is so tied to your sexuality and your attract, like your physically, like how attractive you are. Um, and hair comes back, but I'll never grow back my nipple. Like it's never going to come back. I'm always going to be like half a woman. I don't know. It's like, I can't process it. So I don't really like think about it or I don't look at myself when I look in the mirror. I'm like, I, I don't see it with my mind. I just see it with my eyes. Um, what I've decided because you can get nipple tattoos and stuff. But I, I decided I want to get a mountain trail in particular, the one that I actually was on when I called the doctor. So I finally figured out what kind of tattoo, but I'm going to get that and I'm going to have it cover like that whole area of my boob 
it's a blank canvas. I can do what I want with it. Um, no so more profound th- words have ever been spoken. Yeah. So I, I'm like, well, I have to get something very s- specific and meaningful. It can't just be a random mountain landscape. And so I finally landed on the idea that I'm going to do the trail that the call I made to that doctor saved my life. And I'm going to do that trail on my chest and it's going to cover up my bare breast and the mountains are covering up the scar that cancer left on my body. Cause that's where I go to heal from this. And that's what saved my life is calling the doctor on that trail. So I have to wait until the summer because you have to like the healing of all the scars. They told me I need to wait till like, she wants me to wait till about August, but I'm going to get the tattoo to cover it because I don't want a nipple. Cause I don't feel like it's it just, it's weird to me to, to do that. I don't like the idea for me. Um, and the mountains are very special, and important to me. And I want that to be what covers this. So that's the tattoo I will get. And I just have to figure out how to do that now. Like, how do I get someone to draw the, the image? And I have pictures and stuff, but I've never had a custom tattoo before. Um, but that's kind of what I'm hoping to do to heal from this, I think. And I think it's going to be a really emotional experience. Um, the filming with Tommy was a really big thing for me too. Um, to be able to sit there and talk through it is actually really healing and really helps me process it. So to have two to three days to talk to him and just talk about it for that whole time and talk about whatever I wanted to talk about, help me process it. And to go through the experience in the film, I shaved my head and I'm not sure if you watched it or not. I have. So that was actually the last time I shaved my head. Um, and I intentionally wanted to do it for the film. I didn't need to keep shaving my head at that point because I had enough hair. But I was like, no, you know what? My husband's been the one doing it because it's really hard to shave your own head. Um, so <laughs> I never had to shave it. And I'm like, I'm shaving my own head for the last time. This is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm going to share it with everybody and I'm going to do it out in the freaking wilderness with nature because that is what heals me. Like I wanted it to be intentionally done the way it was done. And the whole experience with him of being able to just be in front of the camera and be the one who was able to tell their story was super helpful for me to process a lot of this situation. Um, Every time I've talked to someone, it helps me like talking to you. It's like being able to give it room to breathe. Um, And I definitely think that getting this tattoo is going to be a huge step in the healing process for me because it'll, it'll be the last thing that I can like, it'll cover the scar because that's really hard to see that every day and just know that that's my body now. And it, it's like, I always had, this is kind of awful, but my boobs are part of my identity because I always had big boobs and a lot of guys like that. And going through high school, I had nicknames. Like it was a very big part of who I was to have that sort of taken from me was like almost losing part of my identity that I never asked 
to be part of my identity in the first place. Um, so I'm trying to relearn how to be this person and love her. It's really hard, but I, and I know it's not going to happen overnight, but I think that like the tattoo will help a lot. And I have a friend online, Abstract Hikes. Um, I can't remember what her first name is, but oh, I'm going to yeah. come. Yeah, I'm going to ask her to do. I'm going to pay her to do a, a portrait type thing oh, like she does. Be I just, yeah, I haven't had a chance to like, I, I wanted to wait until I was further into treatment before I commissioned it. And then like, um, what's her name? Rambling Hiker. She's mm. another woman. She draws yeah, I saw those. cartoons. She did um, a couple of, of me as well. And it's like seeing myself in a way that I don't feel ugly. And I, when I look at it, it helps too. Um, but I think the trails are a huge part of my healing. In the summer, I'll be able to spend a lot more time out there getting back into like the body that I was in before. And I think that's going to be a big part of healing for me too. Can you, have you accepted like that, even though your body is different, it is still you? Um, I think it, it's like you become someone that is, it's still me, but it's a different version of me than it was before I had cancer. Cause before I had cancer, I was much more, I think I was very focused on hiking. I was very much in one mindset because that was my goal. Um, and I wasn't really, I didn't really think as much about like letting myself sort of explore my, my mind and my um, past and sit in uncomfortable places mentally. Cause I would spend a lot of time hiking and a lot of time in the wilderness doing that and being physically uncomfortable and being mentally uncomfortable, but in a very different way. And now I've been forced to be very uncomfortable mentally and have to sort of face fears that I've been with me my whole life. And at the same time, going through school, I'm working on this memoir that is, I'm forcing myself to sit with a past that I've avoided for 30 years. <laughs> so it's really mentally difficult because it's things that I've intentionally not dealt with for reason, obvious reason. Like there's a reason I'm not dealing with it. Um, I'm not the same person I was before treatment. And I am, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to who I was before. And that's something I've actually thought a lot about too, is would I ever go back and not have cancer if I had a chance to choose? And honestly, I think I wouldn't, which is a really weird thing to say. Because it's a powerful thing to say. Yeah. Like no one wants to have cancer. And I look at people who have a terminal diagnosis and this is a totally different situation and I wouldn't probably say the same thing if I was terminal. I don't think at least, but who I am now is so much better than who I was before I got diagnosed in so many ways. I wouldn't want to have to go through what I've gone through, but at the same time, I feel like I would because it helped me in so many ways too. Like I am so much stronger now and so much more aware of what really matters. It's almost like you have to go through this terrible, terrible thing, but you're now you're part of a really special club of people that get it. And 
I would never wish this upon someone ever, but at the same time, you, you become part of this really unique group of people that get it in a different way. Um, you don't get here without going through there. Yeah. Like so many people have messaged me through social media. Like I can't even begin to tell you how many people have messaged me who have cancer or had cancer. And like, we all get it. It's like a small group. It's like this weird group of like, I don't know. It's like, we all have a different way of seeing the world, I think, and seeing life because we face death in a very real way that you don't usually face it and had to decide what are we willing to do to not die. Um, and I actually think I wrote on Insta recently that I would probably keep going forward with this life if I had to go back and choose for it to not be cancer or be cancer. I think I'd pick cancer now because it has made me into so much better of a person in so many ways. And I faced something that could kill me and I persevered through it. Um, and I've learned so much from it. And eventually, as much as we don't want to face it, we all die eventually. Um, it's not like I would have not, it's not like I won't have to face death one day if I didn't get cancer now, like I'd be facing it at some point. So now I know what that feels like. And I think I can appreciate life a lot differently now because of it. You have a different reverence or value for it. Yeah. And I know like I have an, um, you have to go get a mammogram or I'll, I'm going to be getting mammograms every six months and then MRIs the other every six months. So twice a year, I'll be getting something. So pretty soon I'll be getting my first one. I don't know which one they're picking first, but one of those two things. Um, and now I know it's going to be a scary experience. And they actually have told me because I have to go get the MRIs. And the reason is because my breast tissue is very dense and two of the tumors did not show up on a mammogram. So they're making me get MRIs as well. Um, so anyways, they told me you tend to get more false positives with with MRIs, which means I'll more than likely be getting told there's something on a more regular basis than I'd like um, and getting biopsied. Um, but now I know how to face that. So I know how it's going to suck, but I know how to do it. And I know what it looks and feels like. And I know if it is that I had cancer again, what that looks like to go through that process. And I almost feel like it's the fear of the unknown more than anything that is the worst part is you have no clue what you're facing and you don't know how you're going to handle it. And that's almost more scary than the actual process itself. As with pretty much everything. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Hmm. I'm going to look at my notes really quick here and see if I've got anything. Okay. Um, no, I think I've, I've got all of the, of the main points that I have though. I actually, I do have one question for you. Sure. So your Instagram is socked in hikes. Mm -hmm. Is that a trail name of sorts for you? Yeah. So I think it was 2016. Um, so for when I first started hiking, 
it was almost like it didn't matter what the weather said. It would always be socked in when I would go hiking. It was always cloudy. It was really frustrating, especially at first, because I was always really scared to hike in those kind of conditions because it was like eerie and you have a lot of creepy trees up here. So um, it got to the point where I'm like, well, it's socked in because like, I swear it's because I'm hiking. I bring the weather. And um, I was hiking Mount Pierce actually. And this person, he was coming down trail and he's, I, you know, I said, oh, it's terrible. I swear it's me. It's always socked in when I go hiking. He's like, that should be your trail name. He's like, you can hike and you should go hiking with no view because he, I guess, knew someone whose trail name was no view. <laughs> <laughs> and so for, you know, even now people will message me and be like, are you hiking today? <laughs> because the weather's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and there are times where it does feel like that's the case. But then now I hike so much more than I used to that it's like the percentage chance goes higher, I think, of it being nice. But that's why that's my my handle. And I've toyed with whether I should keep it or use my real name now because of the fact that I want to be a writer, like I should probably try to be professional and use my real name. <laughs> but yeah, that's why my, my thing is socked in because it was always like that every time I'd hike forever <laughs> you have you have a, a direct line with the weather gods apparently and it's not good it's like a bad direct line <laughs> you need to you need to really uh jiggle that line and be like okay come on come on like, yeah you're not hearing me right yeah <laughs> I'm ordering your, sun. yes it like I even remember one time I hiked Musilaki, which is on the Appalachian Trail. So I happened to see some through hikers up there. And there's these like weird things they've built that are wind blocks um, out of rocks. So you can kind of sit in these strange um, half circles to get out of the wind. So I'm sitting in one of those with these dudes and crappy weather. And I, I don't remember if I said one of them was just having a bad day, whatever, you know what happens. And um, he was, you know, talking about how crappy the weather was and there's no views which Musilaki is one of those mountains with like the whole top is bare so you would get these amazing views if you actually hike it on a nice day and I'm like you know this is how it always is when I hike it's always like this so I just do it I go hiking anyways because it's not even about the views like when you've had to hike in crappy weather for years you learn how to appreciate everything else but the view and this poor guy he was just like not in the mood I think and <laughs> you know I was like well it's not even about the summit it's about the trail <laughs> or something and I think he was just like probably so annoyed at me as a day hiker saying this to him but it was like gosh you know you're so lucky you get to be out here doing this wonderful thing and I'm sure you're probably tired and annoyed right now for very good reasons but like it's so much more than just the summit and always it has been for me for a long time. That's part of why I don't even really, I tend to do um, trails that don't even have mountains because it's like, I just want to go in the woods. I just want to go be in the woods. So there is a, there is a calm to being in the woods, to being in the trees. Yeah. And I'm, there needs to be more emphasis on like getting kids outdoors. I know there's, um, wilderness therapy and things like that but it is so soothing and like mentally and you wouldn't even you don't know it until you do it almost you don't realize I don't think totally 
Where can people find you to follow the continuing adventure? Um, and if they have any questions for you. Uh, my social media is socked in hikes. Um, my website, I actually just changed to rebeccasperry.com because I need, I was thinking I need to be a more professional from putting this on a resume. <laughs> and um, the socked in hikes is on Instagram. Is it anywhere else? Um, I think that I have Twitter, but I don't even really use it. And yeah, I would say it's mostly, I would say 90% is Instagram is what I use. And then I have like a link tree. So anything I write goes in that. So what, what was, or has been one of your best days on trail? Hmm. That is really tough. (laughs) Um, I would say, uh, if I had to pull from within the last year, the best day was probably, um, when I did pierce, when I was going through treatment, that was my first time hiking a 4,000 footer in a couple of months. It was, um, one of the 4,000 footers that I've done several times and where I got my trail name. I mean, it has a lot of memories for me and I wanted to see if I could do it through treatment. And I think that was a really powerful experience to be able to go do that and know that I could still do it. Um, and Tecumseh was amazing after treat, like at the end of treatment, but Pierce kind of gave me the confidence I needed to know that like I was still able to do something pretty darn amazing and show other people that they could also do something really amazing. And I've had a lot of people message me through social media saying like, they're trying to do things like hiking through treatment or walking or any sort of outdoor exercise. And I always feel so happy that they're able to do that because I don't think you realize you don't get that side of it when you're going through treatment, you, you see the people who are, you know, really sick and I wanted to be the other side of cancer. So I would say Pierce was a really um, powerful experience for me. It feels like Pierce was sort of that mo- this moment where as much as things, everything had changed, you were also still you. Yeah. It was like, I could still be the old me in that way where I'm still able to go hiking. I'm still able to go to the mountains and, you know, experience it and be healed out there mentally. Um, but at the same time, I was making this major shift in, you know, my life in so many ways. And at this, the, the thing that was great about it is like, no matter how much I make this shift, I'm still hiking. I'm still in the mountains. They're still here. I'm still in them. Um, which was huge. Like knowing that I had that as like my, my stability, that would, it was something I could always go to even now. It's really something I needed. It feels like the, the strength, the power, the you that you found through hiking and the strength and the power and the you that you found through treat treatment, diagnosis and treatment of cancer is this ball of, of power that's inside of you that however you choose to channel it, it's this force. It's, it's this power that you now own, so to speak. And I think if I had to say one thing or give a message to anyone listening to this, it would be 
I am no, not any different than anyone else either. Everybody has this in them. And I am not any different. I am a normal person. I am not any stronger physically than anyone else. I am. I'd, I would like to be an example of everyone and what they are able to do because I think we put people on pedestals sometimes and think, well, they're much stronger than I am. But there is nothing different than me than anyone else other than what I've had to go through. And I know for a fact that if anyone else went through what I went through, they would be able to do the same thing if they chose to. Um, so and it's amazing what you can go through and not die, I guess. Um, they put you through things that you would never think you're able to get through and you do. And it's just like with hiking. You think there's no way I can climb that. I am exhausted. I'm done. And then you go and you put your feet one in front of the other up that mountain because you just have to. And you don't, it's like your body takes over and your mind stops telling you what to do. Your body just does it. And before you know it, you're at the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, now I have to go back down. <laughs> <laughs> like, great. I got myself out here. I got to get myself back. <laughs> but doesn't gravity help with that? Like it, it just does. <laughs> just like down. fall. Just don't fight it. Just like roll. Huge thank you to Rebecca for sharing her stories from the trails, as well as her journey through breast cancer. And Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. If you want to see our conversation, we now also have a video version of this podcast on our website at hiking-through.com, or you can go directly to our Hiking Through channel on YouTube. I hope that this conversation reminds you to enjoy every day and stay present because there's amazing things around you that I don't think we pay attention to often enough. And hopefully this summer you get out and have some adventures. And I'll see you in the fall to swap some stories. I'll see you on the trail.